Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to David Gerstel of David Gerstel Builder. Working in this industry can bring great satisfaction and monetary reward, but too many pros fail to achieve either. David is here to help with that by sharing some insights from his new book, A Construction Pro's Path to Financial Independence. And we'll hear all about it in just a minute. Yeah, it's me, Deadpool, and I got an offer that you can't refuse. Ah, fake laugh. It's funny that I only ever see two of you. Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I am here with my co-host, Mark Harari. That's me. How you doing over there, Mark? Pretty good. You know, I, just today, you know how we get, we have all of our roundtable members and they're communicating with one another all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I read all these emails that they're flying around amongst the groups. And today, which is coincidentally, there's a discussion going on in one of the groups about this particular topic, financial independence. Oh, that's good timing. Yeah. They were talking about how important it was to make plans and 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 understand what your goals are, what you want to get out of your life and and plan for it and do the things that are right. So it's a really good topic for today. Yeah, great. So let's jump in. Okay. David Gerstel has been building for 50 years. He is the author of several books on construction business management, including Nail Your Numbers, A Path to Skilled Construction Estimating and Bidding, and his new book, Building Freedom, A Construction Pro's Path to Financial Independence. And we're delighted to have him on our show today. Hi, David. How you doing? Things are good. I'm glad to be here. Now, you're out in California, is that right? Right. All right. Oof. Nice. Get a little dry out there, I hear. Oh, it's getting there. We're waiting for the fire to come. Oh, boy. Well, hey, we're really, we're excited about uh, having you on and your book's great. Really, really interesting. You have some nice, uh, different perspectives. So why did you write this? Huh. Ironically, it started with a negative reason. Um, there's a book, which I, I guess I won't mention, I don't want to disparage the author, that kind of revolted me. Um, a book of advice to builders and remodelers. I didn't like the values it pushed, and I was sitting down to write a review of it. It would have been a very harsh review, and I thought, why do this? Why not take a look at what you think com- comprises a successful builder's life and write your own book as a reply rather than just responding negatively. And so I started, I started down that path. And the result was this book called Building Freedom, A Construction Pro's Path to Financial Independence. And I want to emphasize the A in that title. This is A Construction Pro's Path. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the okay. only path. It's a path that has worked bewilderingly well for me. I've been incredibly fortunate. Doesn't mean it would be the right one for everybody. Okay, great. There so, you are. That's all right. Point. All right. Very cool. So, was it was it kind of fun to write? It was fun to write because it's really reasonably short, and so I could get it done in a couple of years. Oh, okay, um, that's good. But so I enjoyed writing it. Yeah, it's 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 um, you know, it's about practice and possibilities and vision. And uh, another friend of mine just read it and said, you know, it's, it's, it's a light read. It's fun to read. It's engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not heavy duty instruction on creating systems. And as a result, it makes, I guess, for pleasurable reading and it made for pleasurable writing. You know, so for, to you, what does the phrase 
financial independence mean? I'm glad you asked that because the title of the book originally was Building Freedom, A Construction Pro's Path to Financial Independence and Beyond. Um, Financial independence and financial freedom are not the same thing. Um, Well, once you've got your own company up and running and you're doing reasonably well, that's a hard thing to accomplish, of course, you're financially independent, but you're not necessarily free. Let me illustrate that with a story. I I have a project down in uh, La Jolla where, Mm -hmm. long story short, I'm acting as an owner's rep and I was interviewing builders to take care of this massive renovation that has to be done on his home, which was destroyed by a flood. I was talking to a guy um, who runs a, a successful company down there. He's got, he had just purchased an 8,000 square foot building. He does about 25 million a year. Oof. He has, he advertises constantly on AM radio. He's quote, built a brand. I was impressed and I liked him. He was very straightforward with me. But what most struck me about what he told me was that he said, you know, Dave, this would be a good gig if it wasn't for clients, crew, <laughs> and subcontractors. I thought, geez, that's, that's just awful. I mean, building can be a wonderful life. And here's this guy who's built this empire, mini empire, uh-huh. strong business, and he's not happy. He's not enjoying his relationships with the people around him. He's financially independent, but he is far from free. What I mean by free is that you get to the point where – you do not have to work for monetary reasons. Mm-hmm. You, you probably have to work for other reasons. Could get to the point to get to the point that you can be financially free. You have to have a love of your work. You have to work hard. Mm-hmm. But once you're there, you don't have to work for monetary reasons. And that is a wonderful feeling to be able to get up in the morning and know that what you're doing, you're doing out of choice. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. I totally agree with that. So one of the chapters in your book is called Lean and Frugal. So tell me a little bit about that chapter. Well, in a way, that's the drumbeat of the book. I mean, I'm I'm an admirer of frugality. Um, It's an unpopular word in our culture. It's equated with being stingy (laughs) or thrifty to the point of stinginess. Um, We don't have a positive word, really, in our culture for frugality. But what I mean by it is careful use of resources. Um, there's a wonderful book called The Millionaire Next Door. I love that book. <laughs> I, oh, really? Oh, oh my oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> I do too. I think about it all the time. <laughs> I do too. I'm going to I'm gonna re- recount a little episode from that book, which I think the listeners will enjoy. So the guys who wrote the book are two professors, and they've been given a contract to survey millionaires and find out something about their tastes. They're being paid, paid by some company which produces consumer products. So they think, well, we're going to be hosting and interviewing millionaires. we got to set up properly. So they rent a penthouse and they lay out this fabulous spread of caviar and wine. And their first interview, he comes in, he's this stocky guy, he's wearing a somewhat worn overcoat. They they missed the cue there that that overcoat really was. And they, um, they say to him, well, sir, which of our fine wines would you like? And they reel off these two elaborate French names. And the guy stares at them and he says, I drink beer, cheap or free. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of underscores, that's a good story about frugality. Um, What these guys found, these two professors was that, um, was that 
people who became millionaires, who became financially free, who worked out a choice, were frugal. They were very careful with money. They lived well. They lived in nice homes and in pleasant neighborhoods, um, but they didn't show off. Mm-hmm. Yep. They didn't consume for the sake of, quote, professional image, which is a, a phrase we hear floating around our industry a lot, which I think is a very unfortunate one. would never been able to figure out why it made you a professional to have a fancier image, but we'll leave that aside for now. Yeah. Um, it's another podcast. <laughs> it's another podcast. <laughs> it could be six of them. But um, so I emphasize frugality because I think it's key to getting to financial freedom. And I'm going to get into some numbers here to illustrate that. Um, you know, Judy Miller, of course, she was a, Cheers. I, I guess she's retired now, but she. No, nope, not quite. She's one of our facilitators. Yeah, still. Well, she's, she's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fortunate to know her personally. And, and once she came over to my office to help me untangle a, an accounting mess I had made, I couldn't get my checkbook reconciled. Kind of embarrassing to admit it, but she had to help me do it. So she comes over and she wants to take a look at, uh, you know, my financials. And I said, fine. Um, and she discovers that my overhead, what I call out-of-pocket overhead, that doesn't include owner's pay, mm-hmm. was around one and a half percent of revenue. And she was staggered. She said, I didn't think it was possible to do it for less than eight or 10 percent. I said, well, guess it's possible. Now, that's because I was extremely, maybe a little too extreme at times, about extremely careful about building up overhead. And here is my rationale. I can mark my jobs up. I could mark my jobs up a little bit less than my competitors. And I could present that fact to clients and endear myself to them, of course, hopefully, mm-hmm. often did. Um, but my, over, my markups were less than my competitors, but my profit was much larger because so much less of my markup went to overhead. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of a particular com- competitor who lived down the road from me here and my guy whom I greatly respect, actually. His typical margin on his remodel jobs was 35 to 40%. Mine was 30%, if that. But of that 30%, 1.5% was overhead. Mm-hmm. With his markup, half was overhead. So he, who came out of the job with a higher profit? I did. And we did about the same volume of work, by the way. I mean, he worked out of this elaborate office with a receptionist and an estimator and warrens filled with people here and there in a big warehouse. I worked out of this corner in a, in a room in my house, spare room in my house that I'm sitting in right now. Um, that's all, really all you need to run a compact building company. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of operating with that very low overhead is that you retain much more of your markup as profit. And that markup, that re- retention, that profit becomes your own pay. And if you live simply, it becomes capital. And that capital can go into investments. And those investments fairly early in life can end up freeing you from the need to work for monetary reasons, enabling you to work by choice. I got there by roughly my mid-30s and then went way, way past that by just sticking to that principle of using resources with care and investing steadily. So that's what being frugal, being lean is all about for me. Now, it's not everybody's taste, you know? for me, this new cap I have is big splurge. Just bought it. Yesterday. <laughs> Come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. Join us September 21st and 22nd 
for the annual Remodeler Summit at Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center, just outside D.C. This year's theme, Homecoming, the art of building a remarkable culture, because culture eats strategy for breakfast. Featuring two-time best-selling author Deanne Turner, Joe Cursillo, the mind shark, and Hannah Pryor, the secret weapon for impossible change. Plus 40 visionary speakers, 36 high-octane workshops, four education tracks, and of course, our legendary welcome party. Are you ready for homecoming? Visit RemodelerSummit.com to learn more. Now, so to you, what does it mean to run an employee-centered company? Oh, boy. I'm going to tie that, if I can, to what we've just been over. I, I consider that the height of frugality. Um, taking good care of your employees is taking care of your most important resources. It's using your most important resources with care, which, again, is, to me, is what frugality is about. There are a lot of aspects to running an employee-centered company. Um, I'm going to recommend a book. Um, I don't know if you've read it, Victoria. I love it as much as The Millionaire Next Door. It's called Small Giants. Yep, sure did. We had Bo Burlingham. Isn't that his book? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a speaker at uh, one of our summits. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was great. It is a great book. Mm -hmm. Well, there's there's a theme in his book, which actually... I'm happy to say I discovered for myself and was happy to see him reinforced. And the theme is employees don't come first. I mean, clients don't come first. Mm -hmm. They come second. Employees come first. And the reason employees come first is if you've got employees who feel respected and rewarded, they'll take really good care of your clients and you'll have really loyal clients. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my own case, um, I made employees first. And I'll enumerate a number of ways in which I did that. And the result was that my employees created clients who loved us so much, we spent zero dollars on marketing. No job site sign, no truck sign. We had calls requesting us to do projects that were were frequently four or five times the volume we could handle. And the employees created that possibility. We had had twice clients' kids named their pets and their stuffed animals after our carpenters. They love them so much. <laughs> that's great. Now, that's employee, that's client loyalty created by a, a culture in which employees come first. And here's what some of the ways in which I think you need to make employees come first. They're small ways, they're big ways. Um, profit sharing. We had the most generous profit sharing plan of any builder in the Bay Area, according to a survey of about 100 of us. Um, I think employees create the profit. If guys have stuck with you for a number of years and they're going to be around, they deserve to share it. Plus, if you if you if you set up the right kind of profit sharing program, it actually enables you to share profit at very low cost. Mm-hmm. There's some accounting challenges and tax challenges in there. I'm not going to go into here, but it doesn't necessarily have to be real expensive just because it's generous. Um, I love the four three work week as a gesture of respect to employees. It says to them, I understand you've got lives outside the company. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, uh, the fact of the matter is, the best I can tell, and according to a survey done by JLC some years back, 
What matters most to employees is respect. Mm -hmm. There was a survey done in which employers and employees were, were covered. And employers said, what matters most to employees is pay. Employees had pay like third or fourth in the list of five. They had respect at the top. But of course, paying people well, sharing profit is a gesture of respect. It says to people, we value in all ways, including by financials. I don't want to diminish the importance of pay, Mm -hmm. but I do want to elevate the importance of respect and respect in small ways. Um, I had a plumber once who was a great plumber. He's moved on, went down to Silicon Valley. He's probably doing pretty well because he does good work. But I was always struck by the disrespect he showed his employees. He would say to me, for example, oh, okay, I'll have him take care of that. And he would gesture to his employee, you know, over on the other side of the room. He wouldn't say, well, let me ask Bob if he could handle that. He wouldn't use the guy's name. He would show him no respect. Um, There was a, a business savant some years back that said the most important word in our vocabulary, Victoria, to all of us is our name. Right. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a powerful statement. It's true. You know, I, I know of a young guy who bought a construction company some years back for my mentor, actually, and promptly bankrupted it. And one of the things he did wrong was he didn't bother to learn the names of new people as he brought them in. He oh, couldn't gee. greet them by name when he encountered them. And that enraged his amazingly capable older employees he'd inherited from my mentor. And they they soon felt no regard for him, no respect, no loyalty. Um, company went down the drain. Mm. The, here, here are two specific rewards. This is real important to me, at least. Um, and as I say, this is a way, my way, not everybody's way. But two rewards of running an employee-centered company. A, you start to hear your employees say, our company. Mm-hmm. And you th- And when you hear that, that feels so good because you know that means strength. They're going to be around helping you take care of that enterprise. Secondly, turnover virtually disappears. Um, I'm sure you know who, of course you do. You know Paul Paul Elder and Kemp. Just a remarkable builder up in Boston now, retired now. Also ran an employee-centered company. Very much shared values I embrace. Um, Ran a different kind of firm, a little more elaborate, but also frugal and employee-centered. Um, he had almost zero turnover. I mean, right. somebody would leave his company once every four years. Mm-hmm. Our, our turnover was, it might have even been lower. <laughs> I mean, just nobody ever left unless we told him to go. <laughs> and that only happened once or twice. Um, and and turnover was, was brutally expensive. It the, the estimate by savants who cover this subject is that Hiring a new employee costs you about a year's wages. For that yep. person. So they don't leave you. You're saving more money that you can put into those investments that make you financially free and put you beyond the need to work for pay and allow you to work from choice and joy. So now one chapter of your book is titled Thought Remodeling. What's that about? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm laughing because... My editor just hated my first draft of that of that chapter. She thought it was sort of psychobabble. Um, so there is a wonderful, it, it, it is a bit, bit rooted in psychobabble. Um, there's a wonderful psychological practice called cognitive behavioral therapy. Does that 
Mm-hmm. You guys I've remember that? I mean, it's why define it, but I mean, basically, what it comes down to is the idea that depression and anxiety um, originate out of um, untrue thoughts, thinking errors um, that lead, uh, such as you know, thinking the world's coming to an end, or that you're just you're just horrible at everything you do, and um, and those thoughts lead to depression and anxiety. And the theory is that. You can alleviate depression and anxiety by correcting your thinking errors. Well, I, I've made use of cognitive behavioral therapy to deal with a few downtimes I've had in my life, like when I, you know, lost some very close friends all at once. And I got to thinking a similar process is useful in business. And I thought, well, I'll call it thought remodeling because, you know, obviously we're builders or remodelers. The idea is that. Now and then you need to take a look at the thoughts that you have embedded in your brain. And we do get thoughts embedded in our brain. We'll think the same thoughts over and over and over. And neurologists tell us the result of that is actually to create a furrow-like track in our brain. So that, and once the, as the furrow gets deeper, the thoughts tend to travel down that track more and more. We, in other words, we get stuck in our thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I think now and then it's a good idea to take a look at our thoughts and, um, Evaluate them and think, see if any of them might be thinking errors. In fact, um, I adopted long ago the practice of getting myself to go off to a coffee shop once a week, most every couple of weeks, buy a latte and just sit and review where I was in life, what, when I, was, when I was, was running my construction company, what I was doing with it, um, the kinds of jobs I was taking on, whether those were the kinds of jobs I wanted to take on whether I was living up to my values, which I guess we're going to get to later. And um, if I felt, you know, I was making an error, I'd try and take a look and see if that error was rooted in a habitual thinking error. Mm-hmm. And if it was, I'd try and modify, remodel, dismiss that thinking error. There's a story in that chapter about a, a guy I admire greatly. He's a wonderful artisan builder, runs a one-person company. He designs and builds his project and they're, they're beautiful and they're beautifully built. So he originally trained as an artist actually. So he's got artisanship. Um, he charges about half the going price for his bathrooms and his kitchens as other people around town who are equally well-established and who are not as good as he is. And I've talked to him about this and what I've discovered is he has these thinking errors embedded in his brain. He says, for example, oh, my clients view me as a handyman. They wouldn't pay me that much, for example. He's told himself this over and over. He needs to reach in and correct that thinking error. It's not going to happen. He's not going to do it. But I think probably all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will discover similar thinking errors. And then once we see them, we have the opportunity to correct them. It's hard work to correct them, I found, but we have the opportunity. That's great. David, it's time for the lightning round. Are you ready? I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock. What's your favorite business book and why? Oh, Intelligent Investor, Ben Graham, teaches you how to invest with margin of safety. If you weren't in the construction industry, what do you think you'd be doing? Building and designing buildings and writing books. <laughs> Which is what I, do. I can't think of a better life. <laughs> what are you not very good at? 
Oh gosh, do I have to admit this in public? Well, my tennis serve is worthy of caricature for starters. (laughs) (laughs) Your room, your desk, or your car, which would you clean first? My wife says I don't clean any of them well enough, but I keep them organized. (laughs) What's the last thing you watched on TV? The Warriors losing to Memphis made me cry. (laughs) (laughs) How old is the oldest pair of shoes you own? Oh, goodness gracious. Oh, you know, I've got an old pair of work boots I still maintain that's close to 30 years old. Wow. (laughs) David, this is great. Thank you so much for being on. You know, it's been great to hear your philosophies on, on building that freedom. Now, before I let you go, however, I want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listening audience and tell us why they resonate with you. Okay. I'm not going to be as concise as you'd like, but I'll try to get close. I had a tennis coach long ago. I'd get frustrated. She'd say, David, tennis is not a game of perfection. It's a game of persistence and patience. (laughs) Good mantra for building too. Yes. Some reminders that I try to remind myself of. Try to be fair to everyone, including yourself. Two, integrity is not a characteristic like being tall and blonde. It's a job. Do it step by step all day long as best you can. And as I've mentioned before, use resources with care. Frugality is the foundation of financial and emotional freedom, and it is a kindness to our planet. Mm -hmm. Um, A healthy body is the foundation of a vigorous mind. Sleep, eat, and exercise well. And there's one last one. Make time for your loved ones and your closest friends, because finally, that's what really matters. That's right. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And we appreciate you being on. Now, David, if people want to find out where to find your book, where do they go? They could go to my website, davidgerstel.com. They'd see all the books there. They could go to Amazon, just type in my name. Okay, um, one little caution here. A little confusion at Amazon, There's a, but there's a new edition of Nail Your Numbers available, which is a third cheaper than the original edition, and it's much better manufactured and easier to handle, and it's, been, and it's, it's there. Okay, great. Good. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, and we uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, David. Thank you for having me. You know, I, it's funny that he brought up that book, because honest to God, I think about that Millionaire Next Door book. <laughs> a lot because I know yeah. sometimes especially like you'll bug me or somebody will bug me well you know spend it if you want it and I'm like eh, you know well, yeah, I, 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 I think there's a little bit of a balance you also can't take it with you right you know there's, right. there's a little bit of something to having you know 65 million dollars in a bank and, and you're driving a beat up old car yes. that breaks down all the time That's and you got true. your toe sticking out of a shoe <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> of course it's kind of like you know there's I think there is a balance a little bit there but yeah. I totally get the concept of not just throwing your money away on every little thing in the world and you know the other thing that David talked about was putting your customers first and that makes me think about that that Harvard Business Review article that's called the service profit chain mm. that I share a lot because mm-hmm. that whole chain the links go around and it starts with your employees too it was an excellent article so maybe that's something we could add to the show notes. If you have the link. I do have the link. All right. Well, you give yep, it to I'll me share it to and you. I'll make sure it gets on there. All right, good. 
That's good. Yeah. And we had a first on this episode. Um, David, instead of the five words of wisdom, he went with the five concepts of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He kind of just right. listed five concepts of, yeah. <laughs> of, of thought. So that's, that's a new one. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank David for sharing a little bit of the insights in the book. You should check it out. And of course, we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I'm Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next time. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a beautiful day.